0: Welcome, everyone, to Episode 2 of The Flight Stuff. I'm Liam O'Donnell, Editor-in-Chief of CinePunks.com, and a very honored co-host of this amazing intergalactic podcast.
1: I'm Adriana, Managing Editor of CinePunks. And
2: I'm Doug Tilly, contributor to CinePunks, and, uh, and a podcaster uh, outside of this context. But uh, I'm very excited uh, to be back talking about the world's greatest superhero team, Alpha Flight,
0: certainly the most Canadian. That is for sure.
2: I don't even know if that's necessarily solely true. Uh, sometimes I feel like when reading these issues that the only thing Canadian that we're talking about are some of the locations <laughs> and some of the acts, some of the accents on display. But you know, I can certainly see how in early the, ni- the early nineteen eighties, this was a massive step forward for superheroes and canadiana
0: well doug you are the expert so i will defer to you and your expert canadian opinion though i also know you you are a liar so Mm. uh, it's hard i gotta figure out which to go with on that one
2: look liam liam everything i say is a lie Oh, God.
0: <laughs> I want to start off saying a big thank you to everyone who checked out our first episode. Uh, we got a lot of response. We got emails. We got tweets. We got people uh, Instagramming. I think we did. I don't know if we did or not. <laughs> but but uh, I just really appreciate the response on that to everyone who took a chance and listened. And uh, I even had a couple people let me know that they started reading the series because of this podcast. And I don't know if anything could make us happier than that. Um, it's it's maybe not the only reason we started this whole thing, but it's something that I really appreciate.
2: Yeah, no, thanks to everybody. And, you know, we, we're on iTunes now. We actually have feeds that people can subscribe to. So uh, I, I know we're going to reinforce that at the end, but I want to really push it now. You want to be there for when these uh, episodes drop. Uh, because uh, how else are you going to be up to date on all the latest Alpha Flight news? Or
0: the oldest Alpha Flight news? (laughs) Oh, man. Adriana, did you get a lot of response from people? Were people stoked on it?
1: Yeah, um, I would say the response was largely positive, although there was a bit of an oversight on our part that I'd like to address. So in our previous episode, we talked a bit about how we didn't really know of any other Alpha Flight podcasts that it sort of felt like we were treading into uncharted territory. Uh, But in fact, several of our listeners let us know about a gentleman by the name of Gareth A. Hopkins, who runs an Alpha Flight podcast called Alpha Pod Flight. And you can find him on Twitter at GRThink. And he's a comic book artist and illustrator based in England, and his show is pretty cool. Definitely worth checking out. And apologies, Gareth.
0: Yep. I mean, we, we are excited that we are not alone in this uh, gargantuan effort to cover what, you know, clearly is one of the most spectacular comic book series of all time, uh, or at least one that I like a lot. Uh, So hopefully people will, you know, make room in their feed for as much alpha flight as they can handle.
2: What, what is it about non-Canadians starting alpha flight podcasts? I mean, I feel like, Uh, You know what? There's a part of me that just wants to break off and start my own Alpha Flight podcast, something that's a little bit more, you know, sincere and legitimate than all of these other ones that seem to be out there. Mm
0: -hmm. I I feel that I think you have an insight that uh, cannot be beat I also want to give a shout out to uh, the podcast super gay if you haven't checked it out it is a podcast focused on LGBTQ uh, issues in comic books and one of the hosts of that is a giant North Star fan and has been talking about North Star for years and so uh, even though they don't cover just Alpha Flight necessarily they have talked about it a good chunk so hopefully um, if if you haven't checked them out you should Uh, but I just was like oh man you know they do talk they do cover a good chunk of North Star, which I mean really, can you ever have enough North Star? Is there is there ever an end to the North Star
2: knowledge? I don't know. North Star is fine, but he's no marina. Oh, God. Well,
0: speaking of Marina and various issues around Marina, we should jump on in here. Uh, For those of you, maybe you didn't notice, uh, but we are uh, in issue three, and we're going to be covering issues three, four, and five on this episode. So if you need to take a moment to pause and go read, that's fine. But we're definitely, we're getting into it. We're going to get into it. So hopefully you're prepared for that. Doug, why don't you tell us about what happens in issue number three, Alpha Flight.
2: Well, Alpha Flight, Volume 1, Number 3, from October 1983. Uh, it's actually a continuation of the uh, the final issue, the second issue that we talked about on the first episode of uh, The Flight Stuff. You might remember that that ended with Marina, my favorite character, disemboweling Puck and running off into the Arctic wasteland where she encounters uh, sort of this giant underground structure and a character called The Master. I'm, I mean, I don't know about you guys, I'm really curious about what this master guy is all about. Uh I know he is a character that has a lore and uh has a lot of appearances in uh in various comic books uh after this point, but I knew nothing about him going in. So listeners, if you're new to Alpha Flight and these characters, you're you I again, you you are supposed to identify with me and my everyman approach to reading these. <laughs> I'm glad you keep narrating comic-
0: that for everyone. We wouldn't want them to get confused.
2: This issue is uh is called Yesterday Man. And in this issue, it actually starts with Snowbird, who was separated from the rest of the crew. Uh, she turns into a polar bear, uh, in order, she says, I must use stealth and turns into a polar bear in order to track down the members of Alpha Flight. And she finds their Omni jet, what they were, uh, flying around in, and it's crashed in the, uh, in the frozen north. But, the, the members are all fine. They're actually inside the master's facilities. Uh, they're kind of have split into two groups. You have, Aurora and North Star together, of course, and you have Guardian and, and Sasquatch over there. So uh Aurora and North Star actually encounter a bunch of kind of booby traps. Aurora is not really loopy, which actually switches her personality, uh, which is something that we're gonna get into some detail. I'm sure we're gonna discuss this. She she goes back to her uh French Canadian convent person, Jean Marie, as opposed to Aurora. Um and uh and we do see the master torturing. Marina, again, my favorite character, and he explains how he became the Master. Apparently, 40,000 years ago, the Master was a member of, like, a nomadic group of early humans, but was cast out of this group for being too aggressive, and he was pulled by an invisible force, summoned to a giant spaceship, and basically had to experience a whole lot of body horror, where he was kind of torn apart, put back together again, but his strength of will allowed him to uh, to take over the ship for himself. And then... The, uh, the issue culminates in a confrontation between the Master and not Alpha Flight for some reason. Instead, a very surprising and somewhat confusing appearance from, uh, the Submariner and Sue Storm, the invisible woman who, uh, show up to confront the Master. Uh, th- there's also a, a secondary story in this issue, which explores the origins of Vindicator. Well, at this point, he's still Vindicator, later Guardian. Uh, And we'll talk about that in some detail as well. But I do want to jump into the conversation about the issue proper. It does kind of end on that cliffhanger. It's the confrontation. We have the Master versus these two characters that are not Alpha Flight. And that's going to continue in the the next issue.
1: Before we get into the meat of the issue, I want to talk about the cover for a bit, because this is, for my money, one of John Byrne's best covers. Mm -hmm. I love the contrast of the black and white and how Byrne uses negative space to outline Aurora's figure. It's just brilliant. And Burn was very deft at utilizing negative space, which we will see in much greater detail in issue number six, but it's already evident here with this cover, which is quite striking.
2: It really is terrific. And it's also... I mean... To be totally honest, compared to the two covers that we've seen so far, it's the first one that really seems to be going a little bit more experimental in terms of its style, the angles that are on display here. It really is something that, that I'll I'll be honest, when reading the issue proper, the artwork didn't necessarily jump out at me. But just looking at this cover, it really made me want to kind of dive in. It's a really interestingly laid out cover.
0: It's one of those covers where I would see it and think, What is that? I need to know what that is. You know what I mean? Like,
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's not just a selling point for someone who already cares about the comic book. And and I think that's a little unique. I also think, and this is something I guess that comes up in the issue as well, it sort of establishes a weakness for Aurora, right? That one of the things that sets Aurora apart from uh, uh, Jean-Marie is she's fearless. She seems like she doesn't care about it. You know what I mean? Like she's sort of her, her... her boldness is part of her character. And yet clearly she has this kind of like uh, claustrophobic nature. And I think that really comes across. I mean, I- I'm sure anyone would be scared if all these, you know, polls are coming at him, but I think this kind of comes into the idea that like enclosed spaces are going to be an issue for her, uh, in the future.
2: Since I didn't mention, I should also establish here that, uh, this is the John Byrne show. Once again, and I think all three of the issues that we're going to talk about are he, uh, he wrote, He uh, did the pencils, and he did the cover for all three of the issues we're going to talk about today.
1: Yep. And I think there are some really interesting page layouts in this issue. You know, we have several action-oriented two-page spreads with Snowbird sort of investigating what happened with the plane crash. And then Byrne shakes things up further by, by breaking up the grid and introducing these cool slanted panels. But he still maintains a flow. Like, the shape and the layout of the panels still manages to lead the eye naturally from one point to the next. And, you know, it's, it doesn't get too overly complicated, which sometimes happens when artists get carried away with layout experimentation. But with, with Burn, he manages to you know, get get a little bit playful and experimental while still keeping it super readable.
2: One thing that I, uh, difficulty I had with this issue is how truncated it sort of feels. Uh, probably because, in fact, certainly because it has that second story That it has to uh, sort of pack in there and I didn't find it as much of an issue with this particular issue but when we complete the story uh, and we'll get to that a little bit later that part felt so truncated that I feel like they almost should have put a little bit more here. I know I'm speaking very generally right now, but when you really think about the action that happens in this issue, it's extremely limited, especially because you have that snowbird part at the very beginning. And I'm glad that they're putting a little more focus on that character because I still don't know what she's all about. I feel I have very vague concepts of what some of these characters' backgrounds are, and I'm glad that they included her in it, but she's almost entirely superfluous after that intro part
0: they really give you a chance to see what her powers are in the sense of, like, she can transform, she can fly, and apparently she can delve into the most recent past and see what's happening, all of which feels sort of vaguely mystical, I guess. But it's one thing to sort of show that she has these abilities. It's another to see them in action. I mean, this is an action comic, right? And we still haven't seen her, like, do a whole lot in in the sense of, like, encounter an adversary. Um, I want to say, regarding the art... And this, so so, this is something we'll run into probably more in the future. Is I'm reading, I will be reading almost everything in hard copy as opposed to digitally, and so I don't know if this is true of the digital version that you know I might be experiencing some fade out. But my copy I'm looking at right here, I hate the colors. Like there's 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 a there's a thing where so um th- when they show them. First snowbird is uh she she has the vision of them getting out of the crash jet heading towards the master's underground lair and then she's going into the lair everything is just kind of weirdly orange and then just below this her entering the the uh lair as a polar bear there's a shot of guardian and sasquatch sort of fighting the the uh, facility itself as it closes in on them. They're trying to get through this wall and all that color looks bad too. It's just blue machinery with a weird yellow background. And I, you know, meanwhile, I think the point that you brought up, Adriana is true. I really love the layout of this comic. I think it looks really good, but in multiple places, including where Aurora is encountering this, this enclosing, these enclosing poles on her. Again, I don't like the colors. I don't know what the choices are, with all these background colors, they just seem to be not helpful in some way. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but that's my perception.
2: I mean, I don't think you're wrong. There's, there's. I do think that one of the limitations of John Byrne's um, swiftness when it comes to his work is that sometimes the backgrounds get a little bit left behind. Though I, I will say that when the 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 part of the issue occurs that is represented on the cover, he really does go all out, and and it does look very impressive.
0: Yes. Oh, 100%. That that was like, wow, that, must, that, that that was impressive to me. And I guess I will say there are less backgrounds this issue than the other issues that look like just plain, plain, just a swatch. Like there's details because they're in this facility, so you see the facility. But what I'm saying is when he does choose to do just a color background, mm-hmm. I guess maybe for emotional purposes, I don't know why he chose those particular colors. They don't always – portray anything you know what I mean like if you're just going to have color and not a wall then what does that color represent is there like an emotional response is supposed to be having oh, right. instead of it just you know so like you know uh Marina is talking to the master the background behind her in my issue at least it might be faded is like a red behind him is a blue yeah that doesn't represent the background itself, his chair isn't blue, or The ba- what's underneath her isn't necessarily red in the same way, so I'm assuming those colors are chosen for emotional effect, and it's not clear why those colors would communicate anything in particular.
2: I, I will say that in what you're referring to, that specific uh, kind of back and forth between Marina and the Master, I think that the blue behind the Master is supposed to be a way to transition into the flashback that he's just about to be talking about, uh, which, which starts mm-hmm. with this kind of blue background. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there is thought... Put into that but i also think that you know it's it is a way to draw the eye to the foreground and kind of is kind of telling you subconsciously forget about what's behind them
0: there are some amazing details and uh as adriana said that the the uh the breaking the grid is really great specifically i'm looking at the page just before the strange appearance of namor and sue storm uh he's telling the story and above him there's the the kind of like uh montage of images of him being tortured. I love the detail in that. And I love how upsetting it is, you know, just looking at it. I'm just like, well, I don't understand what's happening to him, but it doesn't look pleasant.
1: It's a real fire in the sky situation. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
0: Yep. Very much a fire in the sky situation.
2: (laughs) Honestly, the, 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 the the kind of two page spread where you see the master first encounter that ship, it really is very grotesque. I mean, what you're seeing here and it, it, it particularly seems Grotesque compared to the art that we've seen the issues of Alpha Flight so far, which has been, you know, pretty clean and, and, and really hasn't gone into strange areas. And, and so that was something that did uh, kind of jump out at me. And it's something that I kind of would like to see more of, but I'm not necessarily sure that we're going to at least in the, uh, the near future.
0: So, uh, Doug, you already hinted that you felt like this story wasn't all that you kind of wanted it to be. Maybe it, maybe it <laughs> spent a little too much time giving us the master's backstory. I don't know. Uh, but Adriana, you didn't say much what, yet about that. What do you think about this story? How did it hit you? What, what are you thinking about it?
1: In the previous episode of our show, we talked a lot about how the establishing issues of Alpha Flight were a little lackluster in terms of the action and how some of the choices Byrne made with the direction he took certain characters and were a little odd. Uh, and I think that this issue and the next issue are sort of following in that vein, except they're so completely off the wall that it actually becomes compelling.
2: Yeah. I, th- I think before it felt like a comic that was searching for its purpose, and now it's a comic that's kind of trying to find its footing. So it's throwing a lot of stuff out there and kind of seeing what, what is effective. I do have to say, I'm still very confused about why of all characters to try to shoehorn into this story that you have the submariner and, and, uh, Sue Storm. I mean, I understand that this is actually, uh, we should mention, by the way, that they don't just show up entirely randomly. It, it was, it was, uh, brought in from Fantastic Four issue number 260, but, you know, it's it's not like you're putting Spider Man or even Wolverine in there. I, I don't think necessarily people are well, I guess I mean Fantastic Four was popular and of course John Byrne uh was I think was on Fantastic Four at the time.
1: Yes, he was. He was writing and drawing Fantastic Four.
2: So it makes sense that he want that he had control over how those characters fit together. Right. But especially when you see the rest of this story play out, except for an important note at the end of the next issue. Uh, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure how important they were to the the plot.
0: I mean, it feels like it, this. It is very much about him. Also, at, at least my perspective was it, this is very much about him. Also, working on Fantastic Four. These are characters he can do whatever he wants with, and they have more. Sh- they they at least have more shine than anyone in Alpha Flight right now. No That's one cares true. about these characters yet, and so here he is giving a little bit. Plus, I mean. You guys might know more about this than me, but is this is this at a point where it's like, is Sue Storm possibly banging (laughs) Namor? Is that is this It's just building out that mythology a little bit, because I kind of thought maybe they were like together or something or thinking about it.
2: I mean, there's at least some suggestion because he says something later about, and she makes some reference to how much he cares about her and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I, I think there's always been that tension around this time period, but whether they actually sealed the deal, I'm not sure that was ever made entirely explicit.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I'm being a little bit flippant about it. it. I don't know if that happens at all in that way, but I just mean, this is having those be the particular characters allows him to build out that plot point. If that, it seems like that's when he sort of uh, was a part of. But again, I'm no expert on Fantastic Four, so I don't want to like suggest it and be wrong.
2: I uh, I feel like we can only talk about this story uh, to, in so much detail because we're in the midst of it, right? We're in the middle part of a three-part right. thing. Right. So maybe let's return to the story once we get to the end of it. But can we talk a little bit about the, uh, the backup story in this issue?
0: I think that would be fine. Uh, I will admit... When I first reread this, and even though I was Mm -hmm. rereading it for the purpose of this podcast, I skipped this because as a kid, I always skipped these things. I always thought they were boring and stupid. (laughs) And I got to it and I thought, eh, you know, I'll read this later. And then I forgot about it until you brought it up. And I was like, oh, right. I got (laughs) to read that thing. I totally forgot that existed. Um, This this is a strange story. Do you want to read your synopsis, Doug? And then we can talk a little bit about how, how weird this is.
2: I will I just want to mention that coming at this again from someone who has no real experience with Alpha Flight as as a group or as characters I felt this is really crucial to cover right I mean this is the thing with the we don't from my context having not read ahead or read any of the other volumes I still don't know who any of these characters are really you Right? Know, except right. for the most big so you know we're supposed to know that uh that guardian you know worked for the Canadian government but like how that happened I have no idea and I've actually delved into it, and I still don't know, until this origin story. And as I kind of referred to there, it is the origin of Guardians. So James Hudson, he worked for, a, I guess, a company called Amcam, where he worked building some sort of super suit. Um, And he got fired and ended up stealing the suit. And this particular story starts with him kind of resting in his bachelor pad in Edmonton, Alberta. And he is visited by Heather McNeil, his future wife, uh, who was a secretary for Amcam. And she, I mean, this is very, very strange. Like, literally, she brings him a bunch of groceries because she figured that he never saved any money. And then she professes her love to him and basically suggests that they should get married. And he says, well, you know what? Maybe not because you're only 17. And she, of course, is so madly in love with him that she pushes anyway. But, you know, good on Guardian. He has some self-restraint. He waits almost a full year before marrying her. Um, <laughs> He uh, th- She pushes him to go to Ottawa uh, Again, the capital of Canada And uh, he, she, he uh, meets up with uh, Well, eventually with Pierre Trudeau The pre- uh, the uh, Prime Minister of Canada Who um, asks him a- I mean, he gets asked a bunch of questions About the super suit Apparently, though he stole it He has the right to it I don't understand how that works But apparently he's allowed to use it So they basically put him on uh, Retroactive payroll And uh, make him a part of the Ministry of Defense For Canada and then I love how it ends, which is just – after. I mean, they're married now, right? I mean, he I don't know how old James Hudson is supposed to be. Let's say mid-late 20s with his 18-year-old wife. But he's there reading the paper, and it's just like <laughs> big headline. You know, the Fantastic Four exists now. They're superheroes in the world. And he's like, huh, you know what? We should start a superhero team. And that's how Alpha Flight started.
0: Okay. Uh, I don't know how you guys want to go at this thing. I, I know Adriana – uh, you like me had missed this point where uh, basically Heather's a child. Uh, what did you think reading this over uh, as a story? Is this is this a fun bit of like origin thing that we needed to love Guardian, or is this just a strange uh, distraction from more Alpha Flight action?
1: For me, it's sort of difficult not to view it through a very modern lens and to think it, it is sort of strange, a, a strange situation. What stuck out the most to me though is although James does protest the age difference, and specifically that she's underage, his main objection to why they couldn't be together seemed to be that he stole a super suit and she shouldn't date a thief. So that that seemed like maybe a little mixed up, but um that,
2: that's
0: that's like his I'm a loner Daddy <laughs>
1: is that
2: But I like that, like, that pushes her. She's like, okay, I guess we gotta legitimize this super suit thing so you can marry me, which is exactly what happens.
0: I'm also uncomfortable with it. I mean, again, we're being anachronistic to some extent. But, uh, you know, sometimes the current state of things is much better than the past. And one of those is the idea that an adult... I mean, first of all, Heather presents in so many ways in the comic as, like, a brainy nerd. Now, granted... Uh, he is um, the official sort of scientist of whatever, but it it's it's a surprise to me that like here she is working at this place, not going to college or continuing her education in any way, um, and that that's like not something that anyone seems to care. About. I don't know. It's it just seems like a strange narrative to just sort of throw into this you know fairly new. I mean, here we are, issue three comic book, and. That's, like, cool. Like, that people were reading that and being like, oh, yeah, that makes – this is exactly how I picture Heather and him and James getting together. This is exactly what I thought would have happened.
1: It's very incongruous with who they are.
2: I wonder if the reason that this is explicitly stated – because, I mean, there was no reason really, right? Couldn't she have said, I'm the secretary, I'm 21 or whatever. But I think that maybe in John Byrne's mind is always exciting and – interesting mind that that he had a timeline laid out because we see Heather again in one of the issues that we're going to talk about in another flashback where she's even younger. Uh and maybe, you know, because she is this thorough line between it that it only made sense for her to be that young there and then this age here in order for it all to fit together. But I'm I feel like I'm giving John Byrne more credit than he deserves
1: here. Or possibly, I mean it could it could be a way for him to sort of demonstrate james hudson's nobility in a way that like no he this is this is this is how i'm showing that he is a good man i mean i can just see that being a reason why he wrote that into this explicitly
2: i will groom you for six months that (laughs) until your 18th birthday i mean it it very much it there it's creepy and i don't even think it's anachronistically creepy i think that That it's hard No,
1: because he says right there, like, this is wrong
2: Yeah, exactly And also, I mean, I suppose they couldn't have established a relationship beforehand Because she is so young But it's also just a really strange thing to happen The suggestion is that she's never shown any romantic, like, explicit romantic interest in him And suddenly she just shows up with groceries at his house And is like, let's get married My
0: judgmental self is like, this is a romance story for people who have never dated. Like this is a very <laughs> romantic story for someone who's never been on a date and for whom they're just waiting for someone to show up at their apartment with groceries so that they might be able to fall in love with them. I mean that's that's what it feels like.
2: She's making all the moves just like I've always wanted.
0: But even if we ignore that aspect of the story, I want to suggest the whole story doesn't make any sense, okay? So, What we know so far about establishing stuff about Alpha Flight is that James Hudson does not want to be... I mean, first of all, the end declares him Guardian, first of Alpha Flight. Only Guardian is his third name. When he appears in X-Men as Weapon Alpha, he is pissed about it. Because this wasn't supposed to be for him. It's supposed to be for Logan. He's annoyed that he has to do any of this stuff because Logan was supposed to be whatever. Only in this story, he discovers there are superheroes, right? And then they show him immediately working on this suit and the Logan stuff is like it before he knows superheroes exist. So none of that really fits together very well then. And this is not about burn this criticism. This is a continuing Marvel thing. How long have superheroes that, Marvel could never figure out their timeline very well, because he's reading a paper about the superheroes. And granted, I accept it took some time for him to get the suit together and himself to become a superhero. But how long are we thinking here? Because this is 1983. Fantastic Four were a long, long ass time ago. So it it just I I get that that's
1: I try not to think about that too much because. Then once you add the concept of retroactive continuity, it just becomes so convoluted. It's not even worth trying to reconcile all of these different timelines and what happened when.
0: Here's here's why I think about it. And I I think you're right. As an adult, I 100% accept that you just have to roll with it and you have to accept the fact that like – There are comics where they basically seem like they're drawing Reagan in, which doesn't make any sense because in the timeline, they're not in the 80s. Like, all this stuff. Like, I get all that, that it doesn't quite fit together. The reason it bums me out – and this is not maybe Marvel's fault. Maybe this is my fault. But as a kid, one of the reasons I preferred Marvel to DC is because I felt like it was continuous, that it was one universe that made sense and it didn't have weird offshoots. But now as an adult and I read these comics, I'm like – that's not real. It it all makes sense because we just pretend it makes sense, not because it actually does. And, and so I wonder if there were – if I'm not the only one who felt that way. If there were other Marvel people as a kid, you think, oh, what makes this better is that it's all one universe that all fits together. And that illusion is held up by the notes, right? That everything that happens that's connected to another comic, there's a little editor there being – You should check issue number 121 of this comic, and then that's why this is all together. It's all part of one universe. It all occurs together. There's no inconsistencies. But it's like, that's not real. And I guess it's just as an adult, me realizing that, it like bums me out because it was so important to me as a kid.
2: It's it's difficult because the alternative is to constantly be doing reboots, right? Which is basically kind of the cycle that we've fallen into. In the last right. like 20 years or so. And I, you know, if you're like a real stickler for continuity, like a Roy Thomas type person, right? Where you love ha- all this stuff fitting together. Well, I, I mean, that's kind of what I grew up on. And that's what I really still do sort of enjoy, even though you're right. If you think about it too much, none of it makes any sense. But it's also like, you know, I love the, I love the idea that a little bit of progress can be made that Peter Parker can graduate and become a teacher and, you know, and, and get married and that sort of thing. And when they wipe that stuff out, I understand, I mean, I understood why there was fan backlash or something like that. Cause to me, it's, it's like, it's like I grew up with that. And now you're taking it away. It's why I actually, in the early days of the Ultimate Universe, I really thought that was like the best way to have your cake and eat it too. And of course, that soon, that soon got so continuity. I mean, hey, Spider-Man stayed really good, but the, the continuity started to almost immediately become just as difficult as what you just mentioned. I do want to say, Liam, that I, I actually do really like these origin sections, uh, from what I've seen. Obviously, uh, this issue has one, the next one doesn't, but then it goes back to it the issue after. I do think it is, Maybe they're not not the most elegant way to fit in this backstory, but I do like it better than, hey, while we're on a long trip, let's do a flashback to when we first met, that sort of thing. Um, and I feel like it's it's nice to kind of fill in the blanks as we go along like that, though I can also already see I might get sick of it sooner rather than later
0: i I'm just i I'm actually fine with flashbacks in issues when they pull it in in a way that makes sense like here's a character they know about my past in a way that I haven't had to explore before. I know it's like kind of corny in that a lot of comics do it that way and maybe I'm just responding that way because I'm used to it, but I kind of like that and and these backstories i mean granted I'm talking about how I felt as a kid I might love some of them in the future but just. At least this first one, I was like, man, I don't I don't love this. This is not a thing that I want to read again and again and again. Um, But, you know, it is what it is, though. I'm also like not too worried about it. Um, Doug, I think you brought up a good point, which is that it's hard to fully talk about this story because the story continues uh, ever so briefly, in a sense, into the next issue. So let's uh, let's talk about that next issue. uh, Volume one, number four from November 1983.
2: Right uh, yeah this is the thrilling conclusion Uh And in fact it's called Resolutions with an exclamation point In this issue of Submariner and Invisible Girl uh and no wait sort of, It's actually Alpha Flight Guardian and Sasquatch are trying to get Aurora to snap Out of her now uh, established Second persona which we, we didn't get a chance To talk about but let's talk about that in a moment Sasquatch's big idea to snap her out He's going to turn back into Walter Langowski His, uh, his human form and Remind Aurora of the time that they had Sex and it does not go well for him she backhands him pretty uh pretty ferociously uh then we have the Submariner and Sue Storm they actually sneak up on the Master while invisible it's actually kind of strange how they do this because the continuity of the last issue is that they are confronting him but once we get to this issue there's a lot of kind of lead up into them kind of being invisible and listening to him we actually get a continuation of the Master's backstory to some extent we learn a little bit more about how the ship Got to Earth That it's basically the result of some sort of weird Darwinian experiment where they're trying to make a superior Species from the planets that they're on So this is a, an alien species That would basically suck the life out of planets And then move on to the next one And uh, and on Earth uh, the, the ship was kind of, I guess, damaged So um, it was trying to, again Make the best species out of parts of different species We might need to talk about that Because I was a little confused on it uh, So we have Submariner and Invisible Woman They attack Uh, The Master runs away. (laughs) Meanwhile, Guardian is just, like, smashing everything. Uh, For a guy who's supposed to be a Brainiac, he just uses brute force all the time. He smashes up the ship so much that it pretty much explodes. Sue protects everyone from the explosion. And Marina (laughs) quits Alpha Flight after her very first mission to go to, I guess, Atlantis to explore her hidden past. Because that is the one thing that's established, that, that Marina was basically the result of this ship. Trying to make sort of the ultimate creature And because her egg that she was in Ended up in the ocean That uh, she I guess her evolution evolved around um, Around being able to Be an underwater creature Which I don't know if that's how evolution works And I think there's some confusion About how DNA works as well But we'll talk about that in a minute The issue ends with a guardian telling Marina's brother About what happened Which leaves him really sad Because he was totally horny for Marina, and even though they grew up from, they grew up from, like, look, I know that pornography in 2019 tells us otherwise, but it is creepy Like, if you have an adopted sister from basically childhood, and then you grow up with her, she's your sister, man I know that, that. I mean, she's, she might not be blood, but we've already talked about the confusion around blood in Newfoundland, but She's his sister, but he's basically just spent his entire life pining for her, which I just think is kind of weird outside of the fact that she has green skin and giant eyes. But yeah, so Marina's gone. She's not in alpha flight anymore. And I'm starting to wonder why I'm doing this podcast.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about the art. Uh, What do y'all think of this
2: cover?
1: It's a clever way of illustrating that Marina's predicament has global implications.
2: Right next to Marina's... Right foot, right to the left of her right foot is the island of Newfoundland, where Marina was born and raised. Well, I guess raised at the very least. I do like this cover. For those who have not seen it, it is the master's hand with a uh, a globe. Basically, he's he's crushing it with his hand, and Marina is tied to it, shackled to the planet. I think that uh, that Adriana gave a, a nice summary uh, of the visual. I, I will say, Liam, it does kind of also has that that thing that you mentioned, where the background is just just this kind of this red, nondescript kind of element behind it but I do think it is kind of a a pretty striking cover all the same
0: I'm actually okay with that for a cover especially one like this like I don't I don't think anyone reading this, or at least I hope no one reading this, looks at that cover and thinks this is a literal moment that happens in the comic book. Like clearly, clearly, this is a rep- it's a it's a it's an abstract representation of the idea of the comic book, and I think that's pretty inspiring and interesting. And for me, that's enough. Like I'm looking at that, going, "Oh, that's really cool," and and I don't need something else behind it. Um, it's more an issue when you get in and you know the first page. Uh, we, we've got, I would say the first page into the next couple pages. Um, we've got a mix of, of styles here. Whereas I really love this drawing of Sue storm. I like the design of the fantastic four v- vehicle, whatever. Um, but it is a weird choice for yellow for the background, considering she's in the sky, but you know, it is what it is. I did notice though, on the second page, I like his, these interesting slanty panels, there there there's a big you know picture of her flying and namor flying although why is he flying in that particular position I don't understand but you know whatever but I like those. It's hard to
2: control when you got those little ankle wings it's not easy to position yourself Liam
0: I don't think those actually flap uh but <laughs> I, I I like the I like the the angled panels I I I appreciate the art of that um also in the scene you mentioned where Walter is trying to reach Aurora apparently by being basically uh, you know, almost naked, um, <laughs> the scene where she strikes him is really great. Like that panel is really great. I love the, the lines off of that. So once the, the ship has been sufficiently damaged, we get this really interesting thing to me at least. I don't know if it is to you where it's like the full – you know, cut across two pages of the ice, like, exploding? I-, I thought that was a really bold choice. I don't know what y'all thought of that. What-, what did you guys think of the art in this issue?
2: I like it, but I have to say I almost wish that it was a single page of that and we had another page to establish a few things about what's happening in this issue because I still have a lot of questions. Things like, like what was the master's, like, end game? Did he just run away when... When people showed up, and like, why would he have drawn all of these people here if they could ruin his whole place of living by just going in and starting smashing walls until it all blew up? I mean, it 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 just seemed, it the, the plot as a whole, and it, particularly how it ends, feels so scattershot, and I just, it's so strange to me, again, I think I've already referred to it, that Guardian's whole deal is, I'm an intellectual, but all he does in these two issues is, I'm gonna smash walls until things go boo.
0: I mean, I so uh, you know we can talk. We can get into the story of it, which I think you're right. This it this issue also spends a lot of time in the. But I'm sort of mealy mouthed here because I'm I'm trying to decide how to say this. But it feels like to me these two issues are really almost more about establishing the master. Is that fair? Like I just feel like they're very much more about the master. And I also suspect the more that I read these that John Byrne doesn't seem to like Guardian very much. I just don't know. I just think that he created this character, but then he keeps having him just not be good at his job. I, I, I'm i just not convinced that he likes Guardian or that he has positive... I think he doesn't have great plans for guardian because the way he portrays guardian is less positive or less endearing than some of the other characters and that might just be my bias but that's just how it reads to me
2: i think that's it's a really interesting point you're bringing up liam i never really considered that the master might be being established here as sort of their core villain at least at first and like if if it's going to be their magneto or whoever and i don't know what the future holds for that character i just don't know but Maybe that, in that case, it kind of justifies it, right? You're establishing, I mean, you basically have him doing his own personal backstory in the last issue and then sort of the larger backstory of what kind of, uh, the ship and its, its, its kind of galaxy wide excursions in this issue. So it does spend a lot of time establishing that, but how he actually interacts with the characters, it, it seems like it kind of takes a backseat in the issue.
0: I'm not sure if there if if that's the plan or not of him being a significant villain into the future. I honestly don't really remember him showing up that much.
1: I'm I'm pretty sure he's a recurring villain.
0: It's very possible. I honestly just don't. And 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 when I say I don't remember, I'm not saying that because I'm some sort of expert who remembers all the villains. I mean, if I've read other issues with him, they just did not have the impact on me that other villains in the series did, uh, and that just might be that I don't like him as a villain. I don't know. Um, but I, I do think that must have been the goal. My question to y'all about that is, isn't it a little, or I, I, If again, again, I don't write comics, but it just seems to me like, why not bring in some other established villains so that we can learn more about our main characters and not spend so much time establishing a new villainous character? But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. What do What do y'all think about that, Adriana? Do What do you think?
1: I think that's a fair point, especially considering Burn is already bringing in established characters from another property. So he has he has these multiple sandboxes he can play in, and he's already taken some characters from one sandbox and dropped them into another.
2: We're still so early. In the run, you kind of gotta, you know, catch people's attention. It's just strange. Again, it, it's gonna, it's gonna bother me, I guarantee, for the first hundred issues of this comic, that they're not just like going back to the Wolverine well, because to me, it's like, he has a strong connection to the group. He doesn't have to be a member of the group, but like, that's the shine that you want. You gotta bring Wolverine in on this.
0: I also suspect, and again, this none of this is facts. It's just reading it that this is a very complicated way to just exit Marina. Yeah, like he he's done the work to introduce us to Marina. It's not like she was like I could see doing this much work to exit a much more important character that maybe he suddenly decides that Shaman is I don't know uh, a racial stereotype, (laughs) so he wants to exit him out of the comic book. This would be a way to do that, and instead he takes a character we just met. And then he just ushers her out. And again, that's not to say she's not going to come back at some point. But I wonder if this is a a storytelling choice on his part of like, well, if I already make this character, quote unquote, complicated, then that adds narrative density. Whereas for me, it just felt like, all right, well, all I know about her is she's a fish lady. See you later, fish lady. Like, it doesn't have an impact on me as a
2: reader. I mean, it seems so baffling. To have the first issue, she saves the day. Second issue, she disembowels the other new character that we've just been introduced to. Third issue, she's tortured. Fourth issues, she's gone forever. I mean, what, what is go, why did they introduce her in the first place? I mean, it couldn't have been because she, they thought she was entirely unmarketable. They did put her on the cover here. And also it would have been way too early to be able to tell whether this character had any legs. But, you know, even the very fact that they seem to try to put kind of a cap on her, her, Established backstory from issue number two, uh, with her, uh, adopted brother. It's just a really, really odd decision. I guess maybe he felt like you could do a lot more with him, with the sub, uh, with her, sorry, with the submariner. And then you kind of give her kind of a big boost in, in some other comic and then bring her back to the group. But from here, it just feels like, hey, how can you take something away? We haven't even met her yet, basically.
0: Well, I mean, I, I will say that I try to avoid. Doing the advanced spoiler thing because you we haven't read that. But I will say she is Namor's love. interest. This is I think part of this might be how do I get Namor and Sue Storm out of this situation down down the road or make it more complicated. Maybe Sue Storm gets jealous because Namor finally has a, a lady friend. But Marina becomes the lady friend. And then, of course, complications arise
2: maybe may I mean maybe that's it i i I think there's also an element where I have the submariner in the fantastic Four he's an underwater character she is an underwater character if they're meeting, they have to have more of a connection than just hey we're going to fight this enemy and then uh, we'll go our separate ways uh, I did want to mention liam that letter uh the letter section of this issue uh it does address some of the uh Issues with the, 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 the Canadian Details that we discussed on the First uh, episode of the show um, There is a letter section and there is A addendum a written addendum That says and for the rest of you please Sign your letters next time some of our Canadian readers seem to have picked up Alpha Flight Number one in the mistaken impression That it was a copy of the National Geographic sorry people but the intent of Alpha Flight is not to serve as a socioeconomic geography lesson on Canada. The Canada of Alpha Flight will be as accurate as, say, the United States of the Fantastic Four. Good enough? Till next time. Uh, it does also say, by the way, next issue, the most savage battle you'll never, you've never seen, Snowbird alone, miss it not. Which is not what happens in the next issue. Which makes sense because the issue we're going to talk about in a minute feels like an issue that you could fit, you know, two issues, three issues down the line, it can fill in pretty easily.
0: <laughs> I this is what I'm saying, this feels like I'm, you know, this is my editorializing. This is not the opinion of the flight stuff as a whole per se. It's it's just whack. I think it's whack, and it bums me out. And instead of like – because I get it. If someone was like, oh, well, the blah-blah is actually on this road, not on that road. My man spelled the name wrong. Like, it's
2: not <laughs> like in every
0: issue of Marvel, New York is spelled differently. It's always spelled like New York.
2: All I'm thinking, Liam, is the dozens of letters from people in uh, the outports of Newfoundland just saying – we are not all inbred, John Byrne, and he's like, "Hey, this isn't National Geographic. I heard you guys were inbred." <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be to be fair, you didn't exactly uh, refute my man's stereotypes about Newfies. He was
2: spot on, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so I think we've we've sort of said a good deal about this story, uh, and and I do think the more I think about it, I actually don't think it's a bad introduction to the master. I'm not sure that I care about the master though. If I was a, if he was a, like if this was a backstory for, I don't know who's a, a villain I like, Mister Sinister, then I might be like, oh cool, they spent two issues on a backstory here. That's pretty interesting. But sure, be, I think my initial reaction of like this feels like a waste is, on one hand, a good criticism, which is like we don't know enough about these characters for me to be on this journey right now, and then. Uh, a criticism that might just be personal I don't care about the master so it's it's hard for me to be excited about getting all this juicy details as to his backstory when he's not someone uh, he's not a character that I have had particularly uh, an interest in I,
2: I wasn't wrong was I Liam he just runs away that's what happens in this right they start to smash up his stuff and then he just runs away
0: yeah I mean he he sort of predicts like oh the it's going to explode and then it starts to explode and he literally says it has begun <laughs> it is a it is a to me a literal moment of let's make it seem like he might have died but he probably didn't die
2: does anyone think they just spent two issues on his backstory and killed him off screen is
0: there anything else to say about these two issues other than you know i i think um i i we're we're, we're joking around and stuff i will say i don't know why he included specifically Sue Storm and, and, and Namor per se, but, but I will say I do kind of like the idea of Alpha Flight interacting with other superheroes a little more just to give them a little bit more of like a they're in the world that these other people are in.
2: I mean, I guess that's important. I mean, you're right. I think in the long run, I just wish that their first, you know, three issue arc like this could have been something that was, better used to establish all of them working together. I mean, they, they they don't even have all the members of Alpha Flight here. Two of them have been entirely sidelined, and Snowbird basically has nothing to do at all.
0: Yeah, I mean, at some point they could have brought her in. She, she does say, save Marina, but it's like You know, what does she turn into flies and then she shows up? It's just, I still haven't seen her really get to do a whole lot that's action oriented, and that kind of bums
2: me out. I guess she, I, I was under the impression she could only turn into winter themed animals, so I'm kind of glad that that's not necessarily the case.
0: Well, I would argue that flies are what happens at the
2: end of winter. Well, the black flies in northern Ontario—they're pretty bad. So maybe, uh, maybe you're right there, Liam.
0: Um, okay, let's then jump on into our next issue, uh, which is a, f- you know, an interesting little one-off, uh, Alpha Flight, Volume One, Number Five, from December
2: 1983. So. Uh, this issue is, uh, main story is called What Fools These Mortals Be, uh, which our more learned listeners might recognize as a quote, uh, from, uh, Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, said by the character of Puck in that play. And that's not, uh, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> not at all, because this, uh, this particular issue puts the character of Puck front and center. And again, me as someone new to the Alpha Flight world, my only introduction to Puck is, is that goofy guy from the first issue and then the guy who got disemboweled in issue number two. Well, in this issue, he starts out by being uh, taken care of by Shaman, who's taken him to a medical facility in Fort Albany, which is in the Cree First Nations. I think it's in northern Ontario. Uh, and again, he's recovering from being torn apart by Marina. Um, by the way, you think that she could at least have stopped by before running off to Atlantis to say, sorry about almost killing you, teammate? Uh, maybe she gave him a call. Anyway, this whole issue like you said Liam, it's a one and done. Uh it's about Puck discovering a drug smuggling operation in the hospital uh because he catches the nurse who's taking care of him uh shooting I mean she's shooting up, isn't she? Because it shows her with like a rubber hose or something. Uh and so he goes to the chief administrator of this hospital even though he's like in horrible pain from all of his injuries and he gets permission to investigate this. So he puts on his gear uh with the giant P on it and everything. He catches the nurse making a transaction with some drug dealers He follows them to their hideout And beats the living hell out of him But in the process he gets uh kind of more injured Or is stitches here or something He makes a call and just barely uh gets rescued And brought back to the hospital He's a hero He saved the day Except it turns out that uh Dr. Craigborn The administrator of the hospital He's also in on the whole thing But Puck, he's smart See, he's a lot smarter than Guardian He's like, you know what? I think it was pretty... Pretty strange how my first, you know, attempted investigation brought me right to the drug den, and he suspected Craigborn. And when Craigborn tries to inject him, give him an overdose of insulin, Liam, it's got to be one of your biggest fears. Uh, he ends up uh, slapping Craigborn uh, halfway to uh, to Sunday, basically getting Craigborn arrested and becoming a hero once again. Puck saves the day. Puck is great. And we also get a backup story, giving the first half, I guess, of the origin of Shaman, but we'll talk about that in a little bit.
0: Well, let's start off with a question here. Uh, What did we think about the cover of Alpha Flight number five? Uh, Adriana, what did you think about this cover?
1: Well, this is three for three. I love this cover too. Byrne really loves to play with movement and to experiment with ways to illustrate movement. And, And I think Puck is a character who really facilitates this for Byrne, and this cover is a very good example of that. I also really like the detail on his arm and leg hair on this cover. Byrne really put in the work to make Puck this adorable little pocket bear that he is.
0: I have to respectfully disagree. (laughs) only because of the illustration of the word puck so for those of you who are not looking at this cover adrian is actually really right it's a really impressive illustration of movement and in fact it's it's pretty uh clever you know for each of these issues there's the little marvel uh uh symbol at the top left and uh for a bunch of these issues, instead of just doing the faces, they'll have action shots of people in there, you know and, and they'll alternate between the two I think the faces is is pretty common but at least last issue they had an action shot, one of the other issues they had an action shot well in this action shot we just see the two characters who are in this uh, Shaman and Puck, only Puck is leaping out of the Marvel uh, 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 logo and then leaping across the issue until he's very close to us, all of that is actually really great only the 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 words on the front other than alpha flight are and now puck and puck is in big bubble letters with an exclamation point point. and all of those bubble letters and exclamation point are also hairy i'm sorry i can't support that that's really gross it weirds me out it weirded me out when i saw it as a kid it's weirded me out now i don't like it
1: okay i will concede that he got a little bit carried away
0: i don't find Puck's body hair gross, actually. I think it's fine, and I agree. I like the detail of it, and I like – this seems like a burn thing that he's like, look, Puck Puck is a a manly, hairy man. And I'm like, cool, that's great. But the name doesn't need to be hairy. Just something about – and maybe – again, this is just a personal thing. Something about that is weird, and I don't appreciate it.
2: You know what? I'm just gonna say it I I don't think we're necessarily Gonna come back to this At the end This was my favorite issue Not only uh, That we're covering on this show But of all the issues Of Alpha Flight so far And maybe it is Because it's so self-contained And maybe it's because It's so street level Right Because this is a character uh, investigating a, a t- t- drug issue at a hospital with no superpowers to my knowledge. Again, I, I don't know. My understanding up to this point is that Puck is just a short man who is very acrobatic and that is the extent of his superhero skills. And here he's just kind of uncovering this, this plot that's going on and that's the whole, basically the whole issue. Uh, and something about that really appealed to me, particularly, I guess, after the kind of flights of fancy in the most recent, uh, issues, something very simple about this, and I, uh, about this plot, but also I just love that because it's so simple and because so much attention is focused entirely on Puck as a character, he is literally the only member of Alpha Flight at this point that seems to be kind of like a, a living and breathing, interesting person, which is, it's kind of distressing because, yeah, I do think he's just gonna turn into, comic relief after this
1: this is definitely a filler issue but it's an entertaining one and you're right we it's it's an issue in which we are finally seeing burn fleshing out one of these characters
0: i think that's true um there's uh, the other things i want to highlight about it i think you're right doug is that there's the containedness of it um although i will say this is covering a topic i'm not sure about in that The doctor lets him do this because he's in Alpha Flight. This is the first indication we have that anyone knows who or what Alpha Flight is. In fact, when they're introduced in X-Men, they're a secret military strike force not the superheroes they intend to be. And then so far, they haven't done a whole... I mean, Puck's had one mission and then he got eviscerated. So it's a little weird to me that he's able to just on the word of being a member of Alpha Flight, be able to do this thing. On the other hand, we've also established in this issue that just being friends with Michael, two young men is apparently a big deal that everyone's <laughs> really excited about, so I don't know. Um, but I do... I agree with that, that the the tightness of the story is really interesting. I also want to say... I actually really like the art, which is interesting because unlike some of the other issues, there's a lot less going on abstractly in the sense of, like, the paneling. There's not huge splashes. There's not different shapes of panels or anything like that. But I actually think the detail is really good, and that's something that when Burn spends time with, I realize I really, really, really love his art, particularly it's a small scene, but when he gets to the hideout of the of the drug dealers and he, he the the action of the fight sequence i really like and then there's a close up of him as he's realizing he's most likely really hurt himself uh, as he jumps off this van i love the detail the, the grimace the detail of his well honestly body hair and muscles just everything about that that panel i really like and I, and i think i'm realizing that the that at least so far I prefer some of Byrne's art when it's tight and detail-oriented as opposed to a huge scene that sometimes has a little less attention to some of the details. I don't know. I don't know what you all think about that.
2: I mean, I would certainly agree with that. I mean, it's funny because I actually think John Byrne really excels at, like, really fantastical, particularly, like, galaxy, space-based stuff. So it's interesting that this is something that is so down-to-earth, that is so kind of street level and, uh, and he kind of also handles it so confidently. I, I really particularly love what, uh, Adriana mentioned. Just, just the way that he presents movement in the panels. And, and it's, it's really kind of because this is a character that doesn't have superpowers and there isn't something kind of visual about, you know, explosions or shooting laser beams that the fact that his acrobatics have to be presented, uh, uniquely is, it could provide a, a real challenge to a, uh, a less capable artist but here you you're never under any illusion uh, that he is anything but very nimble that he can get wherever he needs to go very quickly
0: i also appreciate story wise this is the one that makes the most sense like it it's a tight little narrative that like we understand what's going on even with the surprise of the doctor being in on it that makes sense and I, I'm not sure that everything we've read so far has always made sense as to what people's motivations are or why things are happening the way they are. I mean, granted, I am a little skeptical about Puck being, you know, given the authority to investigate, uh, although I suspect that this is part of the plot, that it's really the doctor just wants to get rid of Puck and giving him this authority is a good way to get rid of him, whereas the police would be a lot harder to manipulate in this way. But um, but I think that's it's the first time where I've read that, at least in this read through, where I've been like, oh, every aspect of this story really works i don't know i don't know if y'all felt that way too or, or what but for me it, it fits together better than some of the other things we've read
1: that's definitely the case for me as well this was so far the first issue in the series where everything just clicks into place for me
2: so i just think it's like this is the first this is the first issue where we don't have to deal with alpha flight so it's the first issue that works right <laughs> i mean it is kind of strange right i mean, it's it's. I do think that it might have been a good idea to establish the characters in a few of these. Oh, maybe this is the way they'll do it, right? You do a lengthy arc and then you do one that's more focused on characters. It's a kind of a classic X-Men way of doing things. And, and, and that it, I do think it, in this particular case, it's a much more successful way of establishing these characters compared to these backup stories, which delve into their history, particularly when we're talking about the one in this issue, which we'll mention in just a little bit.
1: And the series does definitely become more character focused than team focused I would say. I don't know if Liam would agree.
2: Uh,
0: yeah, I think that's a good point, Adriana, that it, it really does start to focus on the characters. And I think that's both a strength and a weakness because uh, there aren't as many opportunities for the team to shine together. But I do think doing the character stories and, and the focus on individual members thing really helps us get into them a little bit more. Um, and I just think that's Byrne's style. I also suspect that um, part of what we're seeing here is – I'm not always sure that Byrne is great at pacing. And I think that was the issue with the two-issue arc we just finished is that – it was just weird pacing and this tight little one off story. I mean, he knows what he has to do, the story he has to tell in this contained issue. Um, I think it, it works a lot better. Whereas some of the things we've read so far and some of the things I've read uh, going into the future, it's not always clear he's great at knowing how to tell a story across an issue. In a way that works. So I don't know. Uh, is there anything else we want to say about this section before we go into the final uh, origin story at the end?
2: The only other thing I want to really mention is, is something that it's going to tie into anyway in that we're that, – that Shaman is on the cover in the top left-hand corner. And the suggestion is that he's going to be part of Puck's story, but I think he's in, like, two panels. (laughs) And then it's just like, nope, Puck's taking over from here on in, but he does get the backup story in this case.
0: Uh, Let's talk about Death Watch. What do y'all think about Death Watch? The movie? (laughs) Nope, the story at the end
2: of this comic book. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a pretty dark tale uh, from what we see of it. I I, I mean, let's just go through it pretty quickly. I, I do have a summary, so I suppose I should... Uh, talk about it So the backup story Has the origin of Shaman And basically his grandfather Was a medicine man I think it's already been established In the uh, first issue And Michael Two Youngman Rejected the magic Of his uh, Basically his cultural heritage And he became a doctor However he learns The limitation of his of his medicine, after he discovers that his wife Catherine is terminally ill, he promises their daughter Elizabeth that uh, his wife will recover. A very bad thing to, to promise her, considering he knows that his wife's condition is terminal. Um, and she, uh, his wife does die. Elizabeth is very upset at him. Uh, also, we discover that his grandfather died the same day, which I guess is substantial, uh, substantive, and important. And we'll we'll find out more about that when the second half of the story. Uh, is revealed. By the way, his daughter Elizabeth, uh, is also friends. We mentioned this earlier with a 12 year old Heather McNeil, uh, since this story obviously takes pass, uh, takes place well in the past. And, um, Heather is one of Michael's neighbors, uh, as is established here. But thankfully, James Hudson, uh, is not around to try to marry her.
0: <laughs> Jesus. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think the, I guess the inclusion of Heather in this story is meant to, suggest how they all get together as alpha flight it seemed pretty superfluous to me um and it's a pretty dark beginning to his his tale which is i guess part of the issue i have with shaman is that like i feel like all we've know about him already is the conflict like from the beginning before there even was an alpha flight we know that he is a medical doctor who is now a a a, a you know a traditional I guess medicine man or however you want to uh, refer to it
2: how about the word shaman right shaman or
0: whatever <laughs> but the point the point here is that he sees these as conflict like that's the only character note we get from even before there is an alpha fly comic book is that he's conflicted that he sees his very being as a conflict between uh the 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 modern uh white world and his native uh heritage But that's all we know that's his whole character and I feel like the problem we're going to run into is that perceived conflict which is probably very real in a lot of ways for a lot of people uh, is all we get to know about him for a while and this establishing this is this is how we're going to get to know him is this immediate tragedy it felt very exploitative to me I don't know how y'all felt about it but I I did not feel good
2: I I I have a lot of conflicting feelings about this Uh, Unfortunately, this is a story that I think is really worth telling, even in comic book form and within the the kind of uh, uh, barriers that exist within superhero comics. But you know, as you suggested, Liam, this is a very real conflict where where Indigenous people here in Canada feel like they have to have one foot in the colonizers' world and one foot in traditional practices, and this is a struggle that they feel because you know, in order to live and work and exist in the in this in this country. You know, you have to go along with what has been established by colonizers. Yet, th- that's not fair, right? I mean that that it's a completely unfair uh, thing, and and you know that these practices are, practices are being forced upon you. So, I think that that conflict it really is an interesting that's really interesting material that you can delve into. Unfortunately, there's a problem here, which is a John Byrne is not indigenous, so he I don't know if he should be telling that story. I don't know if it's, it's cool for him to be telling that story. And also, I do feel like in some way, cause I don't know where this is going to go in the second half. Obviously, he's going to embrace, uh, the teachings of, of his, uh, of his people and he's going to become a shaman, uh, in it. But, uh, and we also know that he r- continues to work in medicine as well. I think that's an interesting suggestion that he's going to try to balance the two things. But I also know, and not to jump too many steps ahead, that the death of his wife will not necessarily – even though this is kind of a traditional superhero thing, death of a loved one prompts you to move on to do other things. I don't know in superhero comics how necessarily permanent that death will be.
0: Yeah, it's, it's something that makes me uncomfortable because on one hand – uh, I kind of like that he represents this thing, and, and as you said, Doug, that the story's being told. But ooh, starting in such a uh, uh, immediately dark place, and for me as a as a fan of Alpha Flight, knowing that it continues to go some dark places in the future, it just bums me out. I j- I just I want these stories. I want the stories of people who are outside of the sort of. Uh, you know, white patriarchal norm to be told in a way that doesn't just exploit pain, and that's what this feels like. Is that like, here it is, more pain, and and and, and you know, I, I mean, we're we're on issue number five here. I don't need all this darkness yet. You know, like I, I really kind of want to see these characters do things, but as well as know that they're real people who have real suffering. Like, especially with this particular character, he doesn't do a lot else really than than that like there's just not much more there and and I want there to be more there i want I want to know who he is besides the fact that he's dealing with this conflict and, and that's just not there
2: the uh, one difficulty on top of that is that this is in some ways is a is, is a pretty progressive way of presenting this character I mean sure. you know five years earlier this character would be you know, war whooping and throwing tomahawks around, and that's like that he would
0: be. He wouldn't speak English very probably well.
2: Probably not. He would be stilted, and yeah, and, and it would be very much kind of classic Americana native character. So, I mean, the the very fact that they are trying to connect in some way with with Canadian Indigenous groups is is something that that in some ways is worth celebrating. But I. And again, this is something that maybe from a 2019 eyes, uh, it makes it look worse, uh, than it would have looked in 1983 when maybe it would have been celebrated and seen as somewhat progressive. But, uh, it's just hard for me just knowing, actually, and I guess knowing how many indigenous writers are out there who would love to be working in comics, uh, sure that, that seeing this presentation probably doesn't speak entirely true to them. And I, I, again, I'm hoping that at one point we'll be able to bring in an indigenous writer and an indigenous comic book fan to to talk a little bit about that, because I feel like even me talking about it is overstepping my own bounds a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, and I, and I want to make it clear that I don't you know, speak for those concerns. My concern is partly that I I don't know that it's great writing to have any character who is we're only focused on this one thing. I think it's it's good that that story is being told in some ways but i just wish he would spend as much time uh, at this point of us getting to know him as a as a uh, a character uh, instead of just jumping into this particular aspect but i don't know we'll see how it develops um as we go forward uh anything else we want to say about this issue number five before we wrap up here
2: I mean, it feels kind of like a stopgap Until we, we start our next big Alpha Flight adventure And I, honestly, I, I, I like that a little bit Because after those three previous issues Which I had mixed feelings about It's nice to have a bit of a, a breather Before we move on to something that Will, I guess, be a little more substantial
0: So, uh, Doug, here we are we're three, we're three more issues in This puts us at issue number five And it's time for uh, your patented expert <laughs> uh, Section uh, Canada Facts <laughs>
2: there isn't as much canadiana in these uh issues particularly because two of them take place in the same location i believe most of this takes place in some variation of northern ontario we do get a brief uh uh, appearance by prime minister pierre trudeau uh in the backstory of guardian uh in the first issue we talked about um in real life, uh, Pierre Trudeau will only be prime minister until 1984. So I'm interested to see if we ever see any sort of government representative for Canada after that. Uh, it is uh, we do learn that uh, Guardian slash Vindicator lived in in uh, Edmonton at one point, which I guess explains why Heather McNeil uh, a uh, grew up near Shaman and B uh, not having a post secondary education. In terms of any other Canadiana, all I can really point at is that puck. Uh, delightfully and endearingly does use A a lot And while I would find that kind of overdone uh, Just like I find some of the French accent stuff overdone When it comes to our French-Canadian characters In his particular case, I find it particularly endearing Because he is just a short, hairy guy from Toronto And if he wants to say A, hey, he can say A Hey! Thanks
0: for listening to this here second episode of of the flight stuff. We we really appreciate it. Adriana, what what? How can people pay attention to you and to this podcast?
1: Well, you can find me on Twitter at eadxbv, and you can find the official Flight Stuff Twitter page at Flight Stuff Pod.
0: And that's that's our social medias for now, right? We don't have a secret Instagram or or Snapchat I don't know about, right?
1: No, although we do have an email address if you want to drop us a line with any comments, feedback, hate mail, you know, you can reach us at flightstuffpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Great. Thank you for that. Doug, if for some reason someone's mistaken and thinks you're charming and interesting and wants to follow you on social media, how would they do that?
2: You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L. E-Y. I do want to also mention that uh, I think we we mentioned at the very beginning of the show The Flight Stuff is on iTunes If you do a search in the iTunes podcast directory And you want to subscribe You can do so through there And if you just want to check out the latest episode uh, And you don't necessarily want to go to The uh, Flight Stuff pod on Twitter You can go over to CinePunks.com And in the podcast lists on the site It also has a page for The Flight Stuff
0: We're also on Spotify And Stitcher And Google play and I'm sure other things too. So we're out where, there. Wherever it is you you want to enjoy your podcast, we're there. So check it out. If for some reason you have some new thing we don't know about, shoot us an email and we'll we'll get on there too. We're gonna be on all the things. We're <laughs> we're not afraid. Uh so uh thank you so much for uh checking out this show. Please tell your friends, please uh rate and review on whatever podcast listening apparatus you use and uh we really appreciate uh the the feedback we've gotten and keep it keep it coming we want to know your thoughts we want to know why we're being unfair to marina we want to know uh, about all the the new fee facts that doug is forgetting to share with us so whatever it is hit us up we want to interact with you and uh thank you so much for uh giving us a chance
1: flight stuff out good night